Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. I'm very pleased that you decided to join us today because we're doing breathing mindfulness meditation. I'll guide you guys in a session to come together and encourage and support each other in our meditation practice. And as part of our Wednesday class in this group learning program, we also open up to any and all questions that you might have related to the path to enlightenment to help you develop towards this enlightened mind where the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So you can ask any and all questions you like about meditation. You can ask questions about the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, the Natural Law of Gamma, the Five Precepts, or anything you're coming across. If you're having challenges with how to learn and how to progress in the program or anything that you might be encountering, if there's something in your personal life that you would like to get some guidance on in terms of how to apply these teachings, we'll open up to any and all questions today to help you progress on this path to enlightenment. Two weeks ago, I helped you more deeply understand breathing mindfulness meditation by doing a refresh, going through and helping you to understand how to actually do breathing mindfulness meditation. Today is our first just pure guidance in breathing mindfulness meditation since that time. So what I'd like to do before we actually go into breathing mindfulness meditation is just open up to any questions that you guys have about breathing mindfulness meditation before we actually do meditation. And then after meditation, we'll open up to any and all questions that you have related to the path to enlightenment. So I'd like to provide an opportunity for those of you that are in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom to ask any questions that may have come up as you've been developing your breathing mindfulness meditation practice. So that way you'll get those answers prior to us going into meditation and you'll get more benefit out of today's meditation session. The way that you ask questions is you put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom in the comment section. Our moderators will see that and be sure that your questions get asked during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So I'll just turn things over to you guys to see if there's any questions related to meditation before we get started. Hello, teacher. Mm, Not seeing any question for now. Okay. Well, let's just go ahead and move right into breathing mindfulness meditation then. So remember what I taught you throughout this program and particularly two weeks ago as part of the refresher where you would like to get your lower body comfortable. If you're on the floor, that means putting a cushion usually under your rear in order to lessen the angle at your hips, knees, and ankles. If you're in a chair, that means your feet are probably flat on the floor or maybe lightly crossed at the ankles. 
If you're going to cross your legs either on the floor or in a chair, you would just like that to be very loose. You're not interested in a real tight crossing of your legs because that would cut off the circulation and hinder the ability for the body to remain comfortable. So we're not looking for the body to be in pain, but we're also not looking for it to be luxurious either. We're looking for that middle where the lower body and the hands and arms can be comfortable and relaxed. The Buddha placed his right hand over his left with his thumbs together, and then he put that into his lap. So you can do that. And if that's comfortable for you, you can use that where the hands and arms are completely relaxed in the lap. But for some people, that's not going to feel comfortable. So you might choose to put the palms on your thighs, your knees. If you're in a chair, maybe on the armrest of the chair. But essentially, the lower body, hands and arms should be completely relaxed with no tension, no engagement of muscles whatsoever. The upper body is a little bit different. Your torso should be nice and erect, straight up and down. You should engage the muscles around the spine, not real tense, but keep the upper body erect. This is gonna keep the mind attentive and alert during your meditation session. Because meditation is a dedicated, active, purposeful training session where we're actively training the mind. So we need the mind to be attentive and alert. And the way that you do that is keep the upper body erect. That's gonna keep the mind attentive and alert. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here, all you're looking to do is just establish the breath. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just breathing in and out. You can stay here and just continue to breathe in and out, or if you'd like, you can join for the chanting. Those of you guys that are familiar with the chanting, you're welcome to chant along. And then after the chanting, I'll come back with some more guidance to help you get further into meditation. Sabhakavato 
tassa Napmor sabhakavato Arahato should be nice and gradual, a steady, consistent breath, breathing in through the nose, experiencing the full breath, and then gradually exhaling, experiencing the full exhale. Breathing in and out. Start bringing the awareness of the mind to the breath. Observe the sound of the breath coming into the nose or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose. This is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in and out. Keep in mind that the guidance that I'm providing is just guidance. Your breath is going to be at your own pace. The guidance that I'm providing is just wherever you get to that next inhale. Breathe in gradually through the nose, focusing the mind on the sound of the breath. And wherever you get to your next exhale, gradually exhale through the nose, keeping the mind fixated on the breath. Breathing in. 
in, out. With the mind fixated on the breath, the present moment, wherever you observe that the mind moves off the breath, cut that off and let it go. Come back to the breath. If the mind takes you to the past or the future, if there's thoughts, ideas, or perceptions that come into the mind, just cut those off, let them go, and come back to the breath the present moment, breathing in in out. Breathing in. In, out. When a thought comes into the mind, you haven't done anything wrong. No need to feel guilty. You're not bad at meditation. This is just what the mind does. But instead of allowing the mind to run away from you, Wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath, you're going to cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in, in, out.
your way out of meditation I'll just remind you something as you coming out of meditation a few things is this meditation is for the Buddha the priority in terms of our meditation practice we still need to do loving-kindness meditation and that's important but the Buddha always prioritized breathing mindfulness meditation is the one thing that is the most important in terms of training the mind towards this enlightened mental state there's many things along this path that a practitioner needs to learn and understand and practice to attain enlightenment but breathing mindfulness meditation was a real priority for the buddha so because he made it a real priority in his life practice i suggest that all of you do the same is make it a real priority in your life building up to two or three sessions per day for 30 minutes or longer is where you'll see the most benefit other things that you might 
remember from our talk two weeks ago is that as you're in meditation, if you're observing any little itches on the face or the body or the nose or places like this, feel free to itch those if you need to. But the longer you can go without itching those, then you're actually going to be able to train the mind to be unaffected by what's going on in this world is that you can cut off and let that go. And even though that itch is there, it's going to arise, it's going to change, and then it's going to fade away. And when you first start practicing this way, you might only be able to go two or three seconds without scratching an itch. And the mind just needs to scratch it because it's kind of craving permanent comfort in the body. But if you can extend that for longer and longer and longer periods of time when this happens, this can be really beneficial to the mind that you observe the itch, you know that the mind wants to scratch it. It may even become more and more intense before it starts fading away. But this can be really beneficial if you can go 15 seconds or 30 seconds or a minute and you know you can build up to the point where you actually don't need to scratch you don't need to itch at all over the course of the whole meditation and even though you're aware that the itch is there that you can control the mind you have the discipline that it doesn't have to itch it right away this can be really helpful and you'll even notice this sometimes not only with little itches at different places in the body but if you have a little fly or a little mosquito going around in the room and you kind of not only have the sensation of the touch on your skin, but you might hear it too. This is bringing in two different sense bases. And if you can train the mind to be unaffected by this fly or this mosquito that's buzzing around in the room or that's landing on the body, you can train the mind and have such discipline that it doesn't affect the mind and you can just stay focused on the breath this is really, really effective for the mind. So I encourage you guys to consider those as you're building up your meditation practice. So this is one of the last meditation sessions as part of our group learning program. We're gonna be restarting everything on April 6th from the very beginning. So if this is the first time that you've joined us or if you've kind of joined us at the tail end of this iteration of the group learning program, this is a great time to join because we're going to actually be restarting on April 6th from the very beginning of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. And you can download a free version of this, which is at buddhadailywisdom.com. And from there, if you would like a printed version, you can take that PDF and print it, or you can order it off of Amazon or anywhere else that they sell books. Amazon's pretty much available throughout the world. So you should be able to get a printed copy if that's what you prefer, or a Kindle version, or if you'd like to read the PDF, you can do it that way. But you're gonna need a version of this book in order to go through week by week as we progress in developing your life practice as we go through chapter by chapter. On April 6th, I'll be doing kind of an overview of the program, helping everyone that's new to understand what the program is and how it progresses. And then starting that Sunday, which is April 10th, I will be starting with the Eightfold Path. There's going to be a three-part series, starting with the wisdom of the Eightfold Path, which is right view and right intention. Then the second part is going to be right speech, right action, right livelihood. Then we're going to go into right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration on the third session. So we're going to go really deep in detail into the Eightfold Path because that is the path to enlightenment. That's the path that the Buddha taught in order to 
help you and guide you along this journey to enlightenment where the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So I'd like to just open things up to any questions you guys have, like we typically do on Wednesdays. Any and all questions that you guys have, you're welcome to ask. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. The moderators will see that and be sure your question gets asked during the class. Or you can electronically raise your hand inside of Zoom and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Well, now you mentioned the sensations of uh, flies or mosquitoes on the uh, skin. Does this also include a pain in the body or maybe a feel of hunger? If you're feeling any physical pain in the body, you should adjust the body in order to get more comfortable. You should not just sit there and be in pain because that pain isn't going to lead to any beneficial results. The pain in the body is there for a reason. It's telling you that there's something wrong and that you should take corrective action. So you're not interested in the body being luxurious and kind of lackadaisical and just kind of indulgent in all of this pleasure while you're meditating because the mind's going to become unattentive and unalert. But you're also not interested in the body being in pain either. Because if there's pain, then the mind's going to just experience pain, 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 pain. So you're looking for that middle where it can be comfortable, where it's not luxurious, it's not painful, but it's in the middle where it's comfortable. So wherever you experience pain in the physical body, take corrective action. Just like if you were you know, walking down the street and you had a rock in your shoe, you wouldn't just keep walking with a rock in your shoe. You're going to stop and you're going to get the rock out so that you can walk more comfortably and you don't do long-term damage to the foot. And the same thing when you're meditating, that if your hip or your knee or your ankle or any other part of your body is painful, don't just sit there in the pain and do long-term damage to the body. There's no rewards given out for that. Instead, you know, take corrective action, just like you would remove a rock from a shoe as you're walking. You know, remove that pain from the knee or the hip by putting a cushion under your rear or maybe switching to lying position or standing or some other position in order to ensure that the body's comfortable, not luxurious and not painful, but comfortable. Well, on Zoom, Jen has a question. She writes, while meditating lately, the body become extremely hot and sweats. My room is 60 degrees Fahrenheit. I feel strong tingling everywhere and a feeling of strong, I would call it energy. I try to cut this off and ignore it. It's a bit distracting. Any guidance is much appreciated. Yeah, what you're doing is exactly what you should do is just cut it off, let it go, know that it's impermanent, that this heat coming out of the body is impermanent. You know, when we talk about getting to enlightenment and we talk about eliminating craving, anger, and ignorance, these are referred to as the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots and also the three fires. They're described as the three fires. And what you're doing is you're arising the wholesome qualities of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom to help antidote these poisons or uproot these three unwholesome roots or extinguish these fires. So as these fires are being extinguished, you can feel heat in the body and all these different bodily sensations until the body becomes cool. The Buddha even describes this. He says, you know, when you get to enlightenment, 
things become cool right there is his words that you're cooling the three fires craving anger and ignorance so you can notice that there's these temperature changes in the body this is completely normal but as you get more and more of the pollution of craving anger and ignorance out of the mind then you'll notice that these things will subside but in the meantime just know that they're there and just don't focus on them just continue to focus on the breath also on zoom iona has a question she writes thank you for the meditation teacher I would like some guidance on some of the sensations I'm experiencing. When I meditate, I feel like someone's hands is grabbing my head. I know there is no one there, but this sensation reoccurring almost every time I meditate. Yeah, we can experience these bodily sensations, you know, whether it's what Jan was talking about with heat or some people experience a feeling of the head expanding, even though they know it's not, it kind of feels like the size of an elephant sometimes. During meditation, you can feel different bodily sensations in other places. What you do is you just keep focusing on the breath, keep cutting that off and focus on the breath, cut that off and focus on the breath, whatever it is, whatever you're experiencing in terms of bodily sensations, unless it's pain, if it's pain, you're gonna take corrective action, but any of these other bodily sensations, you just cut them off, let them go and come back to the breath, know that they're impermanent. This is the mind becoming aware of the bodily sensations there's four foundations of mindfulness that the mind needs to learn and practice in order to get to enlightenment. The Buddha taught this as a very, very, very important teaching for our practice. And what the four foundations of mindfulness are, are first bodily sensations. The second one is feelings. The third one is the condition of the mind. And the fourth one is mental objects. This is essentially the process or the life cycle of discontentedness as discontentedness like anger frustration sadness irritation annoyance guilt shame fear jealousy shyness all of these discontent feelings and others as they're arising you're going to first experience bodily sensations so if you've ever been angry and you felt bodily sensations first that's the bodily sensations alerting you that there's anger that is getting ready to arise in the mind. And what you would do is you would like to cut it off there at the bodily sensations and eliminate it. Whether it's in meditation or outside of meditation, you'd like to eliminate that bodily sensation. And that's how you protect the mind and ensure that it doesn't move to the next part, which is become feelings in the mind. So this anger, if we don't catch it at the bodily sensations, it's going to become feelings in the mind. And we can still cut it off there, but now it's polluting the mind. And it has the potential of affecting the condition of the mind for the next few hours, the next few days, the next few weeks. And even there, we can still cut it off as a condition of the mind. And if we don't cut it off there, then it forms a mental object, which is more deeply rooted in the mind and much harder to uproot. Something like ill will or central desire or complacency or something like this. So these four foundations of mindfulness, this is something that a practitioner needs to be well aware of. They need to understand them and they need to practice them in order to get to enlightenment. More and more, you need to become aware of the bodily sensations that are happening prior to discontentedness and cutting those off and letting it go. So in meditation, this breathing mindfulness meditation, it's very common that you experience bodily sensations like what Jan's talking about, what Iona's talking about. There's lots of other things too. 
this is actually how you develop the four foundations of mindfulness is that when you start becoming aware in such a detailed manner of these bodily sensations then you're developing the four foundations of mindfulness that's what's actually happening during your meditation and every time you observe the arising of these bodily sensations in meditation you try to cut that off let it go and come back to the breath cut it off come back to the breath cut it off and come back to the breath they're still going to happen for an extended period of time months maybe a year or two you're going to experience these things I mean, you're still going to, even when the mind's enlightened, you're going to experience itches in the body and, you know, little things here and there. You'll be so utterly aware of the sensations in the body that the mind just has such ability to be aware of that. And that's what you ultimately need to develop so that in daily life, when you're talking to your colleague or your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your friend, your life partner, whatever is happening and you observe some bodily sensations are starting to arise because maybe jealousy is coming into the mind or maybe there's a feeling of anger that's about to arise or maybe there's some excitement or thrill or euphoria that's starting to arise and you can observe that bodily sensation well before it gets to feelings in the mind and you can cut it off and let it go there this is the buddha where he says a person who can do this is very close to enlightenment so what you guys are experiencing is, yes, bodily sensations. This isn't a problem. This is actually part of the solution is getting the mind to the point where it is aware of those bodily sensations. So if you're aware of them, this is very, very healthy, very good for the mind. And then you just would like to train the mind to more and more readily come back to the breath, come back to the breath, come back to the breath. And this is what's going to ultimately help you to liberate the mind so that in daily life, with anger arising and you observe the bodily sensation, you cut that off and let it go. You cut that off and let it go. You cut that off and let it go. And eventually you get to the point where you've done that enough times where the craving desire attachment that is producing the discontentedness to arise has been eliminated. And now that same exact experience that has been producing anger in the mind and you observe the bodily sensations and you've been cutting that off and cutting that off and cutting that off, eventually you'll eliminate the craving desire attachment that's doing that. And now that same exact thing can happen and you don't even feel bodily sensations anymore with maybe for like a week or a month or two months or six months, however long you kept experiencing bodily sensations related to this situation. And that's because there's, craving desire attachment there that is a rising discontentedness so before the feelings of anger comes into the mind there's this bodily sensation and by you catching it there and cutting it off you're also working to eliminate the craving desire attachment and you'll eventually get to the point where in certain situations that when anger used to arise it no longer arises but you have to go through this process of developing the four foundations of mindfulness in meditation and then you can get to the point where in daily life you have this awareness and then you'll be able to cut it off and let it go and then you'll experience those same exact situations and you won't even have bodily sensations anymore uh, in terms of arising discontentedness you'll still have an itch you'll still have you know if something is painful you'll still feel those things but in terms of arising discontentedness, if the craving's been eliminated, 
there won't be any bodily sensations or feelings of discontentedness arising. This is where the mind's becoming very liberated. So what you guys are experiencing is actually a really healthy thing for the mind. You're becoming aware of the bodily sensations. In the second part of Iona's question, she writes, I also seem to get the visual of eye opening. Yeah, this is normal too, that you get different visual stimulation. With your eyes closed, you might see different colors or it might feel like your eyes are actually open when they're actually closed. You can have all these different sensations in terms of visual stimulation, body sensations and things like this. This is completely normal. This is an indication that the mind's gradually awakening. The visual stimulation will eventually subside. You'll always experience an itch even when the mind's enlightened. You'll always experience slight pains here and there if there's anything problematic in the body. But in terms of the visual stimulation, as the mind's more fully awake, you won't experience that anymore. It'll go away because the mind will be completely awake. But as you're awakening, think of it as the mind is releasing this pollution or the other way to think of it as this ball of twine that all throughout your life as different experiences have been happening, you've just been burying the emotions and burying the emotions and kind of raveling it up in this ball of twine. And when you are meditating, you're kind of unraveling this ball of twine and these emotions are kind of bubbling up to the surface. And this can produce kind of visual stimulation. The other thing that can be happening in the cause of this is that as you're awakening the mind and transforming the mind by eliminating these poisons, the brain is actually changing. There's actually physical changes that are happening to the brain. They've been able to observe this through MRIs and CAT scans that didn't exist during the lifetime of the Buddha. But now, since we have this technology, there's doctors and neuroscientists and people who are in a field called neuroplasticity that they study the changes of the brain. And they've been taking people who are long-term meditators, you know, like 20 years of meditation, and they've been observing their brains and CAT scans and MRIs, and they're observing that the physical structures of their brain are changing. We're training the mind, and the mind is not the brain. The brain is not the mind. These are two different things but there's a connection between them. So when we're training the mind, there's physical changes to the brain. And just like Gautama Buddha taught that enlightenment is permanent, once you attain enlightenment, the mind won't regress. What the scientists are seeing is once these changes are taking effect to the brain, that the brain never regresses back to where it used to be. So scientists are more and more proving the teachings of the Buddha through scientific research that we have available to us today that didn't exist during the lifetime of the Buddha. So as the brain is changing through your meditation, it can produce all this visual stimulation. And this can also produce certain bodily sensations as well. This is completely normal. But once the mind is fully transformed to enlightenment, i.e. the brain is fully transformed, you won't experience these visual stimulations anymore because the brain is completely changed and now moved into a more healthy structure. So you'll see this as part of your meditation. And you might even hear things. There were times where I would actually hear the brain physically changing. I could hear it inside the skull. And I could even feel the pressure coming off the skull and off the brain where prior to being on this path, 
there was oftentimes tension headaches and stress headaches and migraine headaches and all these different things in in the head and even just without a headache i tended to feel like there was pressure in the skull and as i trained in this path more and more during meditation i used to also see those visual stimulations and i would hear certain things that are shifting in the brain I would feel the same bodily sensations that you guys are talking about. These are things that I felt before. But also, I would have observed that there's no more pressure in the skull the way that there used to be. I used to walk around with certain pressure. So you'll notice these physical changes to the body because the mind is now performing more optimally, but the body, i.e. the brain, and the mind have to do this slow gradual training and you'll see this gradual transformation so these things that you're experiencing are all completely normal an indication that you're actually meditating in the proper way because if you weren't meditating in the proper way you wouldn't be seeing these visual stimulations you wouldn't be having these bodily sensations and observing them so the fact that you guys are observing these and these things are happening this is an indication that you're doing meditation properly and things are just shifting and changing. And the last part of Iona's question, she writes, since I started to meditate more, I seem to get ringing in my ear. I know I shouldn't let the mind attach to any of these, but they are very confusing. Thank you. Yes, this is another indication that the mind's awakening. If you look in chapter three, I put in there physical and emotional symptoms that people experience as the mind is awakening. Ringing in the ears is a very common one. The Buddha even talked about this during his lifetime. What the Buddha talked about is he said that these are essentially like the sounds of the heavenly realm and that as the mind awakens that this ringing in the ears is heard by people whose minds are are more awakened. And this ringing will become very strong and very profound and you'll be able to hear it during times when your mind is very quiet when your mind is very still like in meditation you'll oftentimes hear it or when you're going to sleep at night and things are very still and very quiet you might hear this ringing in the ears but during your daily life while you're talking to people you probably won't hear it because it's impermanent but then if you were sitting somewhere like at a bus stop or something and you're just sitting quietly, you might hear that ringing in the ears. So this is also very normal. Some people think that there's something wrong with them and they go out to the doctors and they actually diagnose it as what's called tinnitus. This is a condition of ringing in the ears and medical doctors think that this is a problem. They're just not aware of awakening of the mind and how the mind awakens. And I'm sure there's certain structural damage for some people that could produce tinnitus. If they had structural damage in the ears, maybe a broken eardrum or different things like this. But if you haven't had any of that stuff, and like you said, the more you're meditating and now you're more dedicated to meditation, you're observing that the ringing is happening more. That's directly attributed to the meditation. It's completely normal. And there's no need to try to fix that unless you feel like you've done some damage. Like if there's people that are doing swimming or loud music or things like this, 
they might be interested to have it checked out. But when my wife first started experiencing this in America, we went through so many different tests and so many doctors, nobody could find anything wrong. And what we found out later is that it's all related to awakening the mind. So you'll experience this and it's completely normal. And it's another indication that, yeah, your mind's awakening. You're doing the right stuff. Let's go to Miranda for first book questions. Yes, sir. You spoke a little bit about mental objects earlier and on Facebook, Biblop Paul has a question. He asks, sir, what are mental objects? Have any difference between mental objects and the mind? Yes, mental objects are inside the mind. So if you think about the mind as like a cardboard box, a mental object would be something that's inside the cardboard box. It's deeply rooted in the mind. Something like ill will is a mental object. Central desire is a mental object. Complacency is a mental object. Things like this. Think of them as like deeply rooted in the mind and we need to be aware of those. And as you study the words of the Buddha in volumes 2 through 13, that's where you get into much more of this book series that I wrote. This first book is really a real good framework and a real good foundation to help you get into understanding the Buddhist teachings and start heading down the path to enlightenment. But when you start getting into volumes 2 through 13, you're going to see more of the words of the Buddha and him describing mental objects and the types of mental objects. These are just a few examples, some like central desire, complacency, ill will, things like this. If you think about the 10 fetters, if you've studied the 10 fetters as part of this first book in chapter three, those are all mental objects. The 10 fetters, the five hindrances, we're going to be studying those this Sunday coming up. Those are all mental objects. And all of these mental objects have antidotes or solutions or remedies of how to eliminate them from the mind. So these mental objects are part of the pollution of the mind and what's keeping the mind in the unenlightened state. So we need to clean out and we need to purify the mind of these mental objects. Another way to think about it is this cardboard box, which is the mind. We need to clear it out. We need to empty it out, you know, get rid of all the contents in this cardboard box because it's weighing down the cardboard box. It's making it very heavy. We would like this cardboard box to be very light and very tranquil. In order to do that, we got to get all this pollution out of the cardboard box. So same thing is these mental objects are very heavy, weighing the mind down and keeping it in the unenlightened state. So as part of this path to enlightenment, we're purifying the mind, we're cleaning it out, getting rid of these mental objects. But mental objects are more deeply rooted than something like a feeling. A feeling is just something that arises, it's going to change, and it's going to fade away. And these are are very temporary. But these mental objects are more deeply rooted. So if you think about ill will, ill will is deeply rooted in the mind. Somebody can have this ill will with just every single person they come in contact with. They're hateful, they're vindictive, they're resentful. You know, they just have nothing but disgust and hate. You can almost see it in somebody's facial expressions and their body language. But then there's things like anger that can arise and they can stick around for five minutes, 10 minutes, and then you can let go of the anger. So that's like a feeling where 
the mental object of ill will deeply rooted in the mind from many experiences over the course of this person's life, they've got this mental object of ill will where they're just disgusted by another human being. They just can't be around other human beings. They're just utterly resentful and disgraced and they just feel miserable. This is a mental object. But we can uproot those mental objects. It just takes a lot more work in order to do it. And everybody has some amount of mental objects in the mind. So this path to enlightenment, part of what you're doing is you're purifying the mind and removing all these mental objects out of the mind so that now the mind can perform optimally and you can experience this brightness and this brilliance where the mind can almost be glowing and you can feel very light and very peaceful, very joyful as part of removing all the pollution that's burdening the mind. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. On Zoom, Chris has a question. He writes, sir. When it comes to pain, I have had a toothache this week. Is there a recommendation for meditating through that? Or should I not meditate until I feel better? It would be wise to continue your meditation, even though it's a challenge, even though it's a struggle. This is really good for the mind to be able to understand that this toothache is impermanent, that it's not permanent. And even though this is going on, to keep bringing the mind back to the breath and back to the breath and back to the breath. This is really helpful for the mind. And then I know that I've talked with Chris. He shared with me that he's going to, you know, eventually go get it taken care of. But, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of pain that's in the body. This can actually be really good for the mind because the Buddha talks about physical pain and how we experience physical pain when we're untrained when the mind is untrained versus when the mind is trained there's two different ways that a human being is going to experience pain and the buddha talks about it as darts that whenever we experience physical pain it's like somebody throws a dart and you know we feel that physical pain from the dart sticking into our body and this physical pain we can't avoid we can't avoid that as long as we're in the human realm we're in this human body there's going to be physical pain. But then there's this second dart that in the untrained mind, this second dart is the mental anguish that we experience as a result of the physical pain. Because what an untrained mind is going to do is when they feel that physical pain, the first thing they're going to do is grasp for pleasant feelings, wanting pleasant feelings, the craving, desire, attachment is going to arise. The only way they know how to get out of pain is to grasp for pleasant feelings. This is where we oftentimes will turn to things like sexual addictions or gambling or shopping or drug addictions, things like this, in order to cover up the physical pain that someone might be experiencing. And the Buddha talks about how this mental anguish is actually intensified by an untrained mind. When the mind experiences physical pain and it's grasping for pleasant feelings through craving desire attachment it actually intensifies the physical pain and makes it worse but a mind that's well trained and has the wisdom to understand what i'm sharing with you when you experience the physical pain of a toothache you can understand this is impermanent this physical pain doesn't have to arise discontentedness in the mind 
I can still be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to everybody around me, even though the body is physically in pain. As long as the mind understands impermanence and it's not craving permanent comfort in the body, then you can recognize that physical pain and just be like, all right, I'm going to deal with it. I need to get to the doctor or I need to do whatever, take medicine or whatever it is that you're going to do to resolve that. I need to take care of that. And in the meantime, yep, I'm going to experience some pain. And then you don't experience the mental anguish where the mind is grasping for pleasant feelings. If the mind's grasping for pleasant feelings, craving permanent comfort in the body, then that's going to intensify the physical pain. So by you recognizing impermanence and then just making wise decisions to address this physical pain, then your mind can reside more comfortable during periods of time of physical pain because you're only experiencing the physical pain. You're not experiencing the mental anguish that goes along with it for someone who's untrained. So this can be really, really helpful during your time that you have this toothache. It's unfortunate that you have the toothache, but now that you have it, use it to your advantage and do your meditation and train the mind to not be attached to this physical body and to let go and realize that this toothache is impermanent and you are addressing it and it just is going to take time for it to fade away. I was just saying thank you. That's really helpful. You're welcome. Not only in the, not only in this case, but from a disabled body perspective too, more broadly. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. We can apply this to all types of physical pain. In volume eight of the book series, it's titled The Foremost Householders. It's chapter 40 that I put the words of the Buddha that explains this. He explains it very clearly. And then I explain it as well in my explanation. So that would probably be a good chapter for you to read is volume eight, chapter 40. It'll really help you. And anybody who's dealing with any kind of physical pain would be really helpful to read that. Well, a question from Iona. She writes, when I get discontent, it often shows on my face or behavior. And those around me will ask me if I'm okay out of concern. Can you please clarify how talking about things that have caused the discontentment relate to right speech and the factors of well-spoken speech? Yeah, so remember the five factors of well-spoken speech as part of right speech is that what we speak, we speak at the right time, we speak the truth, we speak gently, we speak beneficially, and we speak with a mind of loving kindness. These are the five factors of well-spoken speech that when you speak in this way, you're not going to be causing harm to others, so therefore harm won't come back to you. So as you develop your practice more and more, and you're always speaking this way over one year, two years, three years, four years, then the people around you will speak in ways that are unharmful to you. Whereas if right now you've got a life partner or parents or children or friends that are speaking harsh and aggressive with you, this is probably because you were speaking that way in the past. But now when you start transforming your practice and you start practicing a higher degree of moral conduct and you do that for an extended period of time, now by speaking at the right time, what you say is true, you speak gently, beneficially, and with a mind of loving kindness, 
more and more people will get used to you speaking this way and then you'll observe that people will speak that way to you more and more as well so if people are observing that your mind is discontent because they can see the facial expressions on your face if you would like to talk about that you can talk about it with them if you feel that's helpful but don't feel like you need to the important thing is is that you understand the craving desire attachments that are causing the discontentedness because if you can be aware of that then you can eliminate the craving desire attachments and then you won't experience a discontentedness anymore but what you're describing in terms of how the facial features look discontent because the mind's discontent this is what i teach when i share that the mind is the boss and the body is the employee that if the mind is purified and enlightened then that means it's peaceful calm serene and content with joy so that's what the mind's experiencing so that's what you'll see on a person's face you'll see joy you'll see smiling you'll see this brightness and brilliance in the facial features of someone who's enlightened whereas if somebody's mind still has pollution and they're experiencing discontentedness, then you're gonna see a frown. You're gonna see darkness in the skin, perhaps. You might see other facial expressions that are observing that this person is discontent. They're angry, they're frustrated, they're irritated, they're annoyed, or they're shy, or whatever, right? You're gonna experience these kind of things. So if people are observing that about you, I would use that as an indication to kind of you know, snap out of it and cut off from the mind whatever discontentedness is there that's causing the facial features. So the facial features are just a reflection of what's going on in the mind. And what we're doing is we're training the mind. So if you're sitting there frustrated and you're just not aware of it and you're just kind of caught in that and your friends are picking up on it, I would use that as a cue to cut off and let go of that frustration and then kind of snap out of it and redirect the mind somewhere else. That's part of cutting that off and letting it go. The more that the mind becomes purified, you won't experience those facial features of discontentedness because the mind won't be discontent. But the reason why this is occurring is because the mind's the boss, the body's the employee, the body's just going to follow whatever's going on in the mind. So if you train the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, you'll notice that the body will function more optimally because the mind is functioning more optimally. On Zoom, Tracy has a question. In the first part, she writes, she asks, can meditation help you with the singleness of mind? Yes, that's what meditation is all about in terms of breathing mindfulness meditation, is that as part of this eightfold path, the eighth step is right concentration. Right concentration is to practice meditation, to practice singleness of mind in daily life when you're doing tasks, but it's also a byproduct of practicing all the other steps on the Eightfold Path. As the mind gets closer and closer to enlightenment and it's performing optimally, you'll see focus, you'll see concentration, you'll see clarity of mind, and you'll see a deeper memory. You'll be able to retain things for longer periods of time. And all of these qualities, all of these advantages of the enlightened mind are going to help you in life with your personal professional relationships, with your job performance, with things that you're involved in. If your mind is more focused, it's more concentrated, you have more clarity of mind, you have a better memory, this is going to help you in all parts of your life. So 
when we do meditation with breathing mindfulness meditation, you're cultivating or developing awareness of mind in those four foundations of mindfulness and you're cultivating concentration or singleness of mind by focusing the mind on the breath. The breath is the object that the mind is focusing on. This is the singleness of mind during meditation. And during breathing mindfulness meditation, not only are you cultivating mindfulness and concentration, but you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. By cutting it off and letting go and coming back to the breath, you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. And these are going to produce better qualities of mind for you in daily life. That in daily life, you now have more awareness of the mind. Rather than just going through life and not being aware of what's going on in the mind, you can actually be aware of what's going on in the mind. And when you see unwholesome qualities arising in daily life, you can cut those off and let those go. Or where you see wholesome qualities in daily life. Because you have mindfulness and awareness of mind, you see these wholesome qualities arising. You can support those. You can encourage those. You can bring those into the mind. So where you see loving kindness and you see compassion and generosity and all these other wholesome qualities that the Buddha teaches, when you observe that with mindfulness, you can support that, encourage that. Don't allow it to fade in the mind. And then when you are in daily life, you should be practicing right concentration all the time. Meditation is a dedicated, independent, purposeful training session where you're actively training the mind. But in daily life, you should also be training the mind, not with meditation. It's different. But when you're walking down the street or you're in a conversation or you're in a business meeting or you're talking to your children or talking to your life partner, you should be focused on a single thing, just doing one thing at a time. We've been taught in some cultures that we should be multitasking, that we should be doing many things at one time. This is very detrimental to the mind because the mind can't actually do more than one thing at a time. It can only do one thing at a time. What we do is we rapidly cycle from thing to thing to thing to thing. We falsely believe we have this ignorance. We have this delusion thinking that the mind's actually doing more than one thing at a time, but it's really not. It's only doing one thing at a time. It's just rapidly cycling so fast that the mind falsely believes that it's doing more than one thing at a time. And then if we continue to do that, what happens is the mind then becomes overactive even in regular times, we can't just sit in a seat and focus and have concentration because we've been rapidly cycling. We've been training the mind to do this multitasking. And therefore, when it's time to actually concentrate, the mind can't do it. This is why people get diagnosed with things like ADD or ADHD. It's not that there's anything wrong with the brain. It's that the mind has just been trained to rapidly cycle from thing to thing to thing to thing that it's lacking concentration. So what you would like to do is to unwind all of this conditioning and purify the mind and train it is that in daily life, building on your meditation that you do in a dedicated, active, purposeful training session to build on that in daily life, you should just be focusing on one thing at a time. Like right now when I'm teaching, I'm just thinking about this one question. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say at the end of class or what I've already said in class. I'm just focusing on this one question. So therefore, I can be very focused and very concentrated 
on just this one question. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to do after class or anything like that. So all throughout your day, if you're training your mind to just do one thing, like if you're watching TV, just watch TV. Don't watch TV and eat too. This is going to take the mind in the opposite direction. Or don't watch TV, eat, and talk on the phone. This isn't wise. Or don't eat and talk on the phone, right? We know that this is unwise. This is why driving and talking on the phone is so problematic and people get in car accidents. People have died over trying to do more than one thing at a time. People have been talking on the phone and driving and actually died from this. This is the results of their decisions. This is their gamma. So when you train your mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, just focusing on one thing like the breath during meditation, then in daily life, your mind can be more content and more peaceful and more joyful just focusing on one thing. And you just do that one thing really, 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 really well. You wrap it up, you're done, you tie your little bow on it, and then you move to the next thing. And you just do one thing at a time. And this is where the mind can produce really good results because by focusing on just one thing, you can make very wholesome and wise decisions to handle that one thing really well. Whereas if we're trying to do five, six, eight, ten things at a time, we can't do that. The mind can't do that. Even an enlightened mind can't do that. An enlightened mind isn't going to attempt to do that because the enlightened mind has the wisdom to realize that that's not possible and it's not wise to do that. So if we try to spread ourselves over five, ten different tasks, then we're going to find that we're going to be making unwholesome and unwise decisions in some of these tasks, which means when we're putting out unwholesomeness, unwholesomeness is going to come back to us. So by us focusing on just one thing at a time with singleness of mind, this allows us to make very wise decisions, which produces very wholesome results. And then we don't have anything to clean up afterwards. Because when we make unwise, unwholesome decisions, we're going to have to clean those things up because we put out those unwholesome decisions and those unwise decisions. So that means we're going to have to clean these things up later. So by us focusing on just one thing at a time, we make wise decisions, wholesome decisions. And when we're done, we're done. We just tie our little bow and we move on. We don't have to circle back and clean up anything. Well, and the last part of uh, Teresa's question, she writes, I have found myself in recent day able to do without my phone on long walks. Is this my meditation or just my practice of just my practice? This is just your practice of right concentration, right mindfulness, all the other steps. This isn't meditation. If you're just walking down the street, not picking up your phone, not looking at your phone, this is really good because when you're walking, you're walking. Again, people have died, right? Like walking down the street, looking at their phone, they walk out in traffic, get hit by a car, they're dead, right? This is their gamma from their unwholesome decision of not practicing singleness of mind. Nobody caused this. It wasn't a supreme being causing their death. They caused it themselves through their own decision making. So when you're walking down the street and you're choosing not to talk on your phone, what you're doing is you're choosing to practice singleness of mind. And then the more you do this, the mind gets more comfortable at doing it. Whereas if the mind has this craving to be on the phone whenever you're walking, then the mind's going to keep doing that. 
So what you do is you train the mind to be content with just walking down the street. Oftentimes, when the mind is unenlightened and we're off this path, we're very uncomfortable with our own thoughts. Just walking down the street and observing our own thoughts with mindfulness is very problematic for a lot of people. Or just sitting at a bus stop and sitting with our own thoughts is very problematic. That's like very difficult for someone whose mind is very cluttered. So that's what ends up happening is we look at these phones, we look at other things. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with looking at a phone, you know, when you're sitting at a bus stop if you'd like to. But if that becomes an obsession where we're always looking at the phone, we're always putting something into the mind, we're not just content with just walking down the street, or we can't be content just sitting at the bus stop and just sitting there. So by you choosing to move towards that, then the mind becomes more and more peaceful, more and more content, more and more joyful doing that. And it'll have a tendency to be interested to do that more and more. And this is where you'll see a lot of benefits for the mind. Many thanks, teacher. That's all for today. All right. Well, thank you all for coming to class and deciding to learn and practice the teachings of the Buddha. It's really nice to come together like this on Wednesdays for encouragement, support, motivation to really invigorate your practice with other members of the community. And of course, you understand that 80 or 90% of your time, you should be meditating alone. This is where you train the mind to be focused on the breath, singleness of mind, and train the mind to be content being alone. Because oftentimes we crave interaction with other people and we're not content being alone. So our meditation practice about 80 or 90% of the time should be alone, just the body, the mind, and the breath. This is very helpful to the mind. So next Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation together as a way of kind of coming to the end of this group learning program and doing that one more time before we finish up our group learning program. On this Sunday, we're going to be talking about the five hindrances. This isn't in volume one. It's in other volumes within the book series, but it's not in volume one. But I include it here in the group learning program because now after seven months of learning how to attain enlightenment, at the very end, I'm going to share with you well, what are the hindrances? What are the roadblocks? What are the obstacles that you're going to encounter? And then when I share those five hindrances the Buddha talked about, I'll also be sharing the solutions or the remedies or the antidotes, how to ensure that when you experience any of those hindrances or obstacles, how do you overcome them? So we're going to be talking about that on Sunday. So thank you all for joining class. We'll see you either this Sunday and or next Wednesday. Have a very lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.